Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I am Beth Shank, host of the podcast, along with our guest host, Dr. Shanda Demarest, who is interviewing nurse climate champions around the world. Today, Shanda speaks with Milagros, Millie, Elia, an oncology nurse and nurse leader. Their conversation is inspiring and provocative. Enjoy. Welcome everyone, Shanda Demarest here. I am delighted to open up our fourth session in the Nurses Climate Challenge series of the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. And I'm eager to kick off our next conversation today with a nurse entrepreneur, a nurse leader, and a nurse with a background in a particular kind of nursing that we'll spend a little bit more time digging into. And this conversation today is with nurse climate champion Milagros Elia. Milagros Elia is an advanced practice nurse by background. She has been a nurse practitioner in oncology with both the clinical and community setting for well over 20 years. She is the founder of M. Elia Nature-Based Healthcare Solutions and recently became certified as a climate and health ambassador through Eco America. Uh, she was appointed as a member of the American Nurses Association Innovation Advisory Committee for Planetary Health. And Milakros is also active within the Oncology Nurses Society where she has helped to initiate and successfully grow an environmental health focus group. So Milagros, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Shanda, thank you so much. It's, it's my pleasure to be here. And please um, call me Millie. That's absolutely fine. You got it, Millie. Well, welcome again. Thank so you. let's get started. I, when I talk with nurses who are interested in working at the intersection of environment and healthcare, sometimes I like to discuss options and like two main veins, either working with nature as a therapeutic intervention for patient care. Um, and, and the other vein is kind of practicing healthcare through a natural conservation or, or preservation approach. You do both. And, and we'll get into nature-based therapy later in our discussion. Uh, but first, I want to ask you about your transition into planetary and climate work. So why and how did you transition from that conventional oncology nursing to nursing leadership in planetary health? Thank you, Shanda, that's a, a, a great question. And I, I'll, I'll be honest, it really stems from um, why I came into nursing at all. It came from my childhood experience um, growing up in a marginalized, um, under-resourced area, uh, predominantly Black and Hispanic uh, in New York City. And um, during my formative years, I really um, saw wide-scale systemic racial injustice, um, health inequities, and honestly, environmental injustices playing out in front of me. I that was my lived experience. So when I went into conventional nursing, um, I chose oncology as um, my, uh, my primary uh, specialty. And in 2017, um, I felt that 
while my, I was making an impact on the front lines in, in direct patient care, I really wanted to create a company that served the needs of uh, communities like the one I grew up in, in a, in a holistic nursing approach, um, looking at wellness as a whole. And part of that meant looking at going back to environmental injustices or what environmental justice would look like for them. And so that got me very interested in um, mind, body, um, medicine. I became a yoga teacher. I began to look at uh, green prescriptions, which, which is uh, a modality in, more in the UK. Um, I began to look at something called nature therapy. These were things that I was not taught in nursing school. So I really, it really became an eye-opening experience for me. And I knew that this was something I wanted to incorporate into my services. From there in 2020, as we all know, the pandemic hit. Now, had, having had already um, really enveloped my, myself in, in growing my knowledge around nature therapy, I very quickly began to understand how the pandemic was really highlighting um, environmental just, injustices and how it continued to be a, um, a big factor in uh, the negative impact on communities of color. And so I knew that I had to learn more. I, I, I began to look into organizations that were beginning to um, teach healthcare providers about this connection between the environment and health. And I had an awakening um, and I knew that I needed to learn more. And I believe in teaching the teachers. So I believe that if I could learn that I could then take that knowledge out and teach other clinicians. So I found out about this wonderful program through Echo America called uh, Climate for Health. And they offered a training course, which I took for a month. Uh, upon graduation, um, I became certified to um, teach this, this connection uh, between this interconnection between nature and health and climate effects and uh, population health. And along the way, I became more politically active uh, through my association in the Oncology Nursing Society. And I'm always a huge proponent of uh, nurses getting involved in their pro professional bodies, their associations, because those are uh, wonderful avenues to explore um, areas like politics or, or um, nursing research in areas that maybe you, you, you don't have access to in your day-to-day -day life. And so through becoming involved uh, politically, I started to go back um, and forth and I, I asked if there was a possibility that the Oncology Nursing Society um, or the nurses, I should say the members of the uh, ONS would be interested in a group um, that looked at this, that, that a discussion group. And um, I was absolutely bowled over by the amount of interest. But what did I hear? I heard the same thing that I had experienced from the mouth of other oncology nurses. I intuitively 
feel like there's a connection between the environment and the health of my patients, but I don't know how to articulate that. I don't know how to break that down. I don't know what that means in clinical care. And so I said, well, we're all gonna learn together. And so we, you know, we formed this informal, um, unofficial group, and it's just absolutely grown beautifully. We have international members. We have oncology uh, nursing society members from Italy. We have them from across the United States in academia, um, in research, at the bedside. And um, we're going to be having our second meeting. I'm happy to say there are um, people in leadership attending the meetings. And we're really looking at how our focus um, on environmental health can combine with the ONS healthcare policy agendas and best serve our patients. And so um, I sort of connect, it, I wish I could say I had a more strategic plan for my life. <laughs> and I sort of knew how I was gonna structure everything to get to this point, but it was honestly came from um, a passion that led me to my purpose. And once I had the passion, I began to look for the avenues that could bring me to this point. And so that's, that's how I got into this position of uh, nursing leadership in this particular little niche of mine. Millie, thank you for sharing that story. It resonates with me. I, I certainly don't have a strategic plan for life. And I, I love that <laughs> you described that. Um, yeah, that, that organic passion evolving into a major shift. Um, yeah. I, I also really, uh, yeah, I wanna, wanna pull out the, the teaching the teachers concept. Um, Eco-America does this magnificently. The, the Nurses Climate Challenge has drawn on, on many of their principles, um, especially related to communicating climate and communicating yes. how, how nurses can do this work. Um, Excellent. Well, well, thank you. So let's shift um, to hear a little bit more about your company that you referenced. And, and as part of your journey, uh, like you said, you've, you've really leaned into the nature-based therapeutics. You, you did build your own business around us, around that. So tell us, um, what is M. Elia Nature-Based Healthcare Solution? You know, it's evolved um, since I first started in 2017, but um, today, what it, is, what it has become is, um, and again, thanks to my training uh, with Echo America, um, it's now primarily a clinician-facing educational service around, um, the focus is around key relevant topics of sustainable health. So I really aim to equip current healthcare professionals um, in direct patient care with the knowledge, the confidence, and the capacity to provide sustainable healthcare services. So because I'm no longer in direct patient care in that sense, I'm not at the bedside anymore, um, it's important for me to be able to uh, reach my colleagues who are at the front lines, who are in direct patient care at clinics and, and offices, and um, help facilitate that exchange of knowledge. And um, so my mission is always assisting in the learning process and the application of this knowledge into direct clinical practice. And so my company does that, I do that. Um, 
by providing, of course, up-to-date evidence-based uh, science and research and translating that into what I hope, what I've, the feedback that I've received into engaging, relatable, and easier to digest um, in a format that allows practitioners to not only develop understanding of the material and how it relates to their population, but also develop the language that they can incorporate into the clinical uh, area and disseminate to their patients in a way that really um, speaks to their day, the patient's day-to-day -day life. It needs to make sense to the patient. So in my area of expertise in oncology, if we have a patient with lung cancer, you know, and they happen to be living in, a, um, in an area that is uh, close to wildfires or uh, just air pollution. I, I grew up near um, a place called Asthma Alley in New York City. We didn't have wire, wildfires, but we had a lot of air pollution. And so the nurse needs to be able, and I say the nurse, but any clinician needs to, who's, who's um, uh, caring for patients needs to be able to speak to what that means for this person in terms of activities in their day-to-day -day life, when to go out, what does the, um, the uh, index look like that day. So having, teaching the bedside practitioner allows them to then directly impact patient care and giving them the language to do that. And so that's primarily what my company is, but I should say that I've been very fortunate uh, to find um, like-minded professionals in other sectors. And I've been very fortunate to be able to bridge sectors fairly, fairly easily. And so I'm welcoming um, several conversations around looking at um, collaborative program developments um, and what that might look like. So, you know, um, I don't want to say too much, but um, what that looks like in community. I'm particularly interested in um, going back to environmental justice and justice, um, looking at communities of color. So how do I serve marginalized communities with this knowledge, right? If I say I'm interested in impacting direct patient care, and if, I'm, if I say I'm interested in the approach of te teaching the teachers, then how do I do that in, in my own community? Well, that looks like bridging sectors and um, looking at collaborative programs. So I'm, I'm hoping that in 2022, early 2023, um, my business will have launched some uh, projects or programs in this area um, that, it, that it can be really meaningful, especially looking at some of, um, really taking into consideration some of the uh, advancements uh, in technology that has happened um, and with a focus on supporting, you know, um, legislator and legislation and policies uh, that reduce air pollution, that um, advocate for clean water, um, just sort of what that looks like at, at not only the patient level in, in the clinic, but in the community. 
because that patient is always, you know, you always have to um, look at the greater community that that patient belongs in. You can send that patient out, but if you haven't effectively impacted the community the patient lives in, then you're, um, you're really limited in, in the overall impact you can make. So it, it always has to be sort of that two-prong approach. Well, you heard it here first, everyone, as some evolution to include environmental justice even more deliberately. Um, yeah, Millie, thank you for telling us more about um, the, the work that you're doing. And it sort of made me reflect, you know, for, for folks who work at this intersection of environment and health, whether that's, you know, quote unquote, traditional sustainability or climate resilience or planetary care, we know as nurses, the, you know, the, the technical term, the end user will always be the patient. The end user of every industry is a human, right? Like the, the, yeah. we are homo sapiens trying to figure out how to work together on this planet, how to co-create a sustainable, resilient, equitable, just place for us to live. And that does not involve, you know, working behind the scenes to to develop the solutions independently. This is this inherently must be a collaborative approach. Um, yeah, thank you for, for telling me more about that, for kind of giving us some insight into what it was like to grow up where you did. There's a lot that goes into this. Um, that's yeah. that's our story. So as someone who, who does work in the healthcare environmental sustainability realm, I feel like I have seen climate action gain increased traction with health organizations recently, um, especially within probably the last two years. Yes. But, but climate is just an aspect of planetary health. So in, in your words, share with us what planetary health is and, and like what's that relationship between planetary health and climate change? Yeah. Um, great question. So, you know, planetary health um, is really sort of a framework uh, that links human health to the health of the planet. And so climate change or the climate crisis um, is the greatest threat to that health, at least in this century. Um, now, we're healthcare providers and healthcare systems that are that are supposed to be supporting uh, human health. But paradoxically, healthcare delivery has an adverse impact on the environment and therefore human health. And so I, it's, and you know this Shanda uh, better than I do, um, but an example of this is if healthcare systems were, were, was a country, it would be the fifth largest carbon emitter. Like that doesn't, you know, it's, it's, um, we're sort of not <laughs> doing what we say we're supposed to be doing. So that to me, that interconnectedness between understanding that we are not separate from our environment, that the health of the planet down even to the soil impacts human health and the health of future generations. We know now that when a mother is pregnant and she, what she eats 
can absolutely, and what she's exposed to can absolutely affect um, her unborn fetus. We know this. We know um, we, we've, there's enough science now that is solidly backed in how the environment affects uh, human health and vice versa. Um, there are different uh, viewpoints, different angles on this. There's um, One Health, there is Planetary Health. Um, the, when I talk about the planet, I also, in my definition, include uh, the animal life. So not just um, uh, vegetation and human life, but also the animal life. It's, it's not a hierarchy. And the way that you described that helped me to actually think about this in a, in a different way too. Um, and, and I think sometimes when folks think about the, you know, some of the terms that we've talked about here and, and planetary health in particular, we can confound this idea of planetary sustainability with homo sapiens sustainability. They're, they're very different things. Mm -hmm. The planet Earth mm -hmm. has been here, it will be here. The trees and the land and the water will has shifted forever and will continue to shift. And our presence here, you know, and our health as humans here is entirely, like you say, de dependent upon that and and nature will carry on with or without us um, and so we, we are absolutely learning more all the time and how to how to be in a more meaningful um, co-beneficial relationship as opposed to you know really just an extractive um, an extractive relationship um, yeah. exactly yeah absolutely and um, you know with healthcare professionals, particularly nurses being the most trusted profession, I, you know, it, it really, bar none, I mean, literally number one, um, it really is important to have nurses up and coming and student nurses uh, and, and nurses who are already seasoned and, you know, mid-career. It's not, everybody that has, uh, impact in the community that's having direct relationships with patients or uh, community members, it's really imperative for them, for us, to learn about the sustainable health care, um, to learn about sustainable health care in order to protect planetary health. So education for sustainable health care um, must be mainstreamed in order to support planetary health. And, and that has to happen um, as early as possible. Um, hopefully, you know, it'll gain momentum to, to universally have that integrated into curriculum, uh, both nursing and medical curriculum. But even within um, the institutions for nurses who are already mid-career, this needs to be a institutional responsibility to provide that education. We hear, and, and, and absolutely, 100%, we hear a lot of supporting the, um, the future nurses that are coming in there. We must support them. Lord knows we must support them. Um, but the ones that are already there need to have access to the knowledge as well. Um, 
how that gets integrated is, you know, uh, tricky because nurses are already, the other thing I always hear is we're overwhelmed. So how can we learn something new at this point? And I think absolutely. But one thing that will never change is the nurse uh, needing continuing education credits. So why not provide those in the form of um, environment and health? They're gonna get them, they need them anyway. All nurses uh, that work institutions go through a period of orientation. And during that period where you have them and they're not necessarily uh, on the floor, why not incorporate it then? So I really do think is it, it can be done at every level, uh, at any stage in nursing, but it needs to be done. It must be done. It, it must be done. And, you know, you've talked about interdisciplinarity a bit. Um, and in my role, yeah, Millie, I think we do something pretty similar. You know, in my role working with Practice Green Health, yeah. I primarily engage with like traditional sustainability professionals, facilities management, EVS operations, folks in food and nutrition, you know, who are integrating aspects of sustainability in healthcare. However, despite my role as a nurse, based on the traditional structure of sustainability in hospitals, mostly, um, you know, my, my primary contacts are rarely, if ever, clinical by background. And so it's, it's absolutely imperative that this work be um, dispersed across all disciplines in healthcare. And that's why it's so compelling to hear about how you are shaping that with that clinical perspective in, in particular. I appreciate that. And you're, and you're absolutely right. Um, and this is why I go back to, I, I always refer to oncology because I don't know anything else besides oncology. Um, <laughs> but using that as an example, I so um, promote nurses going to their professional organization and asking for, for this kind of education. So um, I did a podcast, not, not very similar to this for ONS and nurses were able to get CE, CE credits from listening and putting in um, the information, uh, submitting the form. But also in the fall, ONS has a bridge program and it is a educational day for direct care nurses, specifically for direct care nurses. And I'll be presenting there and doing separately a session, um, uh, sort of a roundtable for nurses on another day who have questions. But the whole premise is exactly this, taking this to the bedside. What does this look like and why does it matter in direct patient care? And so I, the only reason I refer to that is to say, I would love to see that across all um, professional bodies, providing this kind of uh, education to their nurses, whether it's you know um, nephrology or what, whatever, what emergency room nursing, it all matters. It all plays a role. And so it, it can be done. If it can't be done at, in, um, 
in the educational, in the primary educational uh, setting, nursing school, then it can be done within the hospital. If the hospital can't do it, then professional organizations can be do it, can be can do it. But it can be done. It needs to be done. It must be done. That's a perfect segue. I, I want to hear more about your work with Oncology Nurses Society. Um, tell us about the focus group that you're helping to grow that will approach climate change in relation to cancer care. Oh, that, you know, that group, I, that was such a blessing. Um, I really, again, didn't realize how many nurses uh, would be interested. And we're quickly approaching, it doesn't sound like a huge number, but for me it is. <laughs> um, it, we're close, in two months, we're approaching um, 40 nurses, we're close to 40 at this point, and there's varied interest. So the idea that climate change, up until very recently, um, it, I think many people felt the idea of climate change was something very abstract, um, something that was outside of what they were doing. Um, they may have known about the, you know, um, contributing factors to climate change, but they didn't, and, and you know, all the factors we talk about in terms of uh, the environment, but they didn't really see how it related to their practice. Um, but recent events have really brought it to the forefront of everybody's mind. And so the interest was there to learn more. And there, we have nurses that are very interested in um, uh, decarbonization, uh, reducing carbon emissions in their institutions. We have nurses that are very interested, again, uh, academic nurses looking at how to how to um, bring this into their uh, nursing school training. Um, we have nurse researchers. So all of us have come together, each maybe with a different interest. I have a particular interest um, that is absolutely um, um, taking hold of me in terms of uh, adaptation and, and natural disaster preparedness, um, but uh, that's a different that's a different podcast altogether. Uh, there's we we're all coming together with the idea of supporting cancer care. How do we best support our patients everywhere in light of what's happening in the environment, what has been happening in the environment, and what is happening now? Because even as we speak, things are um, revving up. We, we're seeing uh, natural disasters happen across the United States. I live in uh, the Northeast, and it's not uncommon now for us to get at such heavy rains that we flood. I can't tell you how many times last year my basement flooded, and not just mine, but my neighbors and my neighbor's neighbor. I can't tell you. You know, my my friends in, in California that are dealing with the wildfires. So how do we support our patients in light of this? In the beginning, some nurses said, yes, but we can't change climate change. We can't, we can't, what are we gonna do? And so, you know, through the support of uh, members of the association who were very, worked very closely with legislators, um, we learned about how we could go 
from the nursing, from the oncology nursing perspective, and what policies to support? What, what, what aspects of policies could we get behind and start to look at? Um, we looked at, like I say, adaptation. So, you know, we, there's mitig there, mitigation is always, on, is always possible. It doesn't matter your specialty across the board. Mitigation is something we all have to work on, but also we can look at adaptation, what that means in the, to our patients now. You know, there's, there's um, when natural disasters hit, let's say in Puerto Rico with, with um, Hurricane Maria, um, oncology patients couldn't, access was cut off to care. Uh, this meant clinical trials, this was loss of tens of thousands of dollars. And what people didn't realize is that, is that on Puerto Rico, the island, there's a factory that, prime, that produces the bulk of IV fluid for the entire continental United States. So people didn't, re nurses across the United States didn't realize it, but when Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, we, what resonated from that, what rippled away from that was it was an IV bag shortage during the, during the months that followed in the, throughout the United States. And some didn't even realize that that was connected to what had happened, but it, it's a ripple effect. So how do we prevent that from happening again? We're very good at uh, trying to respond, but how do we prevent? And so um, our oncology group doesn't have one focus, it has many focuses and with the root of looking at serving our oncology patients. And how do we do that both at the political front uh, in, in research and um, at the bedside in, and in academia. Million, and it sounds like you are shedding light on the multitude of ways that nurses can engage in this work. So I wanna come back to the policy piece in a moment, um, but you reminded me of my own time uh, as a cardiovascular nurse working bedside in Minneapolis during and, and after Hurricane Maria. And we experienced, to your point, that IV bag shortage. It was the D5W, it was normal yes. our 50 mils, our 100 mil bags. Yes. We were doing IV push. And I I actually had, I knew that, um, sort of the, the impacts of Maria on, um, I can't recall what, uh, what facilities in particular, like what different companies were really, you know, damaged down there. But I thought, what an opportunity for our hospitals or just generally healthcare leadership to draw attention to what's happening right here. Why don't we have 50 or 100 mil bags? And nobody was talking about Hurricane Maria's implications or climate mm -hmm. change. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'll tell you what, at that, I, I was at the bedside during that time also. I didn't realize, even myself, and I'm Puerto Rican, I didn't realize because you're in the moment. You know, management tells you, look, we're, there's a short, a nationwide shortage of IV bags. So we, and, and in oncology, IV fluid is everything. I mean, we, we absolutely, you know, have to do it to run the chemo. Um, but I didn't make that connection that there was a factory on the island that had been impacted. But you know, that that's the that goes back to interconnectedness. We we must realize that we are we're all 
connected and we are connected to our environment. Thank you, Millie. So one uh, survey that comes to mind is it's called the CHANT, the Climate and Health Tool. And this survey evaluates nurses and all health professionals' um, thoughts around climate change, what motivates behavior, what demotivates behavior, what actions are taking place. And the question year after year that comes up that nurses are the least engaged in pertains to policy, contacting legislators. So you, you referenced um, some legislative work and I would like to pose this question to you of what are some key legislative policy concerns nurse environmentalists are currently facing regarding climate change? Right. So in general and across specialties, so this isn't specific to any uh, particular organization or um, specialty, but nurse environmentalists are really concerned with things like cutting climate pollution now and uh, greenhouse gas emissions reductions by 2030, um, looking at advancing environmental justice through uh, the new clean energy and sustainability accelerator um, that hopefully we'll invest in projects around the country um, and bolstering resilience and natural solutions to climate change through investments in coast, coastal restoration, forest management, soil conservation, and even things like clean water, making sure that all communities have access to clean water by replacing toxic lead pipes. Even in housing, and this will be the last thing I say about that, um, making sure people who live in public housing also benefit from upgraded living conditions, include, including lower energy costs and protections from extreme weather. The list goes on and on and on. I'm going to say a personal note on, in my opinion, the Build Back Better Act, uh, it sort of covers all of these. And so I'm a big proponent of it. But in general, um, these are the types of things that nurse environmentalists are really looking at. So much policy can be climate policy. Um, I'm with you on that front. Yeah, thank you. So uh, Millie, you are, are just such a remarkable nursing leader in this space. And one challenge that nurses face both as caregivers for humans and caregivers for the planet, this is mentally and emotionally tolling. There are a multitude of studies out there about nursing burnout and environmentalist or climate worker burnout, but not as many or any that I know of about climate nurse burnout. So tell us yeah. the time when you felt overwhelmed by this work. Like what did you do with those feelings and how did you pull through? I'm very, I'm very fortunate. Um, uh, I've always been very holistic. And one of the things I did um, when I first started my company was um, become a yoga teacher. I wanted to practice um, yoga for cancer. And so through my yoga training, I learned how to really, um, uh, how re really utilize mindfulness to ground me in the present moment. And that keeps my mind from dwelling on fears and anxiety and spiraling into that future of um, feeling of an impending doom. So I draw into from mindfulness and that really helped me when um, recently, you know, I referred, I think earlier in the program to a place called Cancer 
um, to Asthma Alley. Well, there's a place in Louisiana called Cancer Alley. And again, you know, this is a population predominantly black and poor community. And so uh, that infuriates me. Uh, it infuriates me that in this country, um, places like Asthma Alley and Cancer Alley exist. And every time I tell this story, they go, what was that? There are people who have heard and there are many people who don't know. And how can that be? Because this has been going on for generations. So when I became uh, really active politically, um, I practiced my mindfulness, but more than that, I took action. And I am honestly, Shanda, one of the shyest people you would ever meet, but I really, um, advocacy helps me to find my voice. And one of the things that I did was I um, found out through Annie uh, about a, public hearing being sponsored by the EPA um, around this subject. And so I offered testimony as a nurse back in, I think it was uh, January, November or January, um, about how this, this toxicity, what the, what the pollution, uh, how the pollution was affecting this community. And as an oncology nurse, what my impression of the situation was and offered solutions, um, nature-based solutions and environmental solutions up for consideration. And because of that, and because of the voice of many others like me, the EPA is now starting to take notice and starting to implement plans of actions to rectify what is happening in these communities. You're practicing what you're preaching, and it's not only helping you personally stay afloat, but that's making major change. Um, Millie, thank you. So we'll shift to our speed round. I'm going to put you on the spot and um, invite you to the space of, of sharing with us what are your two proudest accomplishments as a nurse climate champion? Ready, go. The honor that I received by being appointed to the American Nurses Association Innovation Advisory Committee on Planetary Health. And equally important, speaking at that hearing that I just referred to, I never thought that I would ever find my voice um, and get the courage to do something like that. And when I did, I felt so um, proud of myself. And you're inspiring all of us, all of us listeners, Millie, thank you. So question two, let's practice some, some visioning together. It's 2030 and you of course are still a nurse climate champion, you're a planetary nurse. What does your journal entry say for the day? Right, um, I sincerely hope I'll be reflecting back on just how much has positively changed in healthcare with by then, should be years of mainstream integration of planetary health topics into basic foundational educational curriculum, and that nurses have absolutely leapfrogged into national leadership positions here and across the globe around environment and health issues. That's what I'd like to see. That's what I hope I'm writing in my journal. 
I'm grinning ear to ear after that. You gave me warm fuzzies. Um, well, Milagros, Malia, thank you for spending time to share these stories with us today. More importantly, for doing the work in your world to make it happen. We at the Nurses Climate Challenge, on behalf of Healthcare Without Harm and Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments, are honored to consider you a fellow climate nurse. It's been remarkable to hear your story. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will be back on the air in another couple of weeks with another nurse climate champion sharing their stories and making a difference. Take care. Thank you, Shanda. Thank you, Shanda and Millie. Your conversation gave me a lot to think about, recognizing that we, all of humanity, are at a crucial point in history as we try to transform from an exploitative use of the planet to a compatible mutuality with the planet and other species, and that we as nurses are in pivotal positions to address planetary health and our service to human health today and for generations to come. Thank you, Millie, for the inspiring work you are doing, and thank you, Shanda, for guiding a terrific conversation. Thank you all for listening. Please look at the resources in the show notes to learn more about Millie's work. And please tune in for upcoming podcasts highlighting nurse climate champions. Check us out at envirn.org. And please subscribe, comment, and share the podcast. Talk to you next time.